Just a quick warning, there's a little bit of swearing in this episode, so if you have younger majors around, you know what to do. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. This is Season 2, Episode 2, and I'm talking to Erin Campbell, co-host of The Girlfriend Bracket and Magic Mics. Her edgy and upbeat point of view creates entertaining and hilarious shows. Erin fosters inclusivity in our community and is a role model for women and trans women. Along with our co-hosts, they have reclaimed the term the girlfriend bracket, which used to mean the back tables at an event. Erin also talks about how she likes to play magic. I'm excited to share my interview with Erin Campbell. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today we are joined by Erin Campbell. Erin, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And where are you joining us from today? Uh, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin currently. Wonderful. And I'm in Seattle right now. So we are speaking from across the country through the interwebs. So my friend Tifa, um, who you might know, she's the founder of Lady Planeswalker Society. Her and her husband, Mike, got married a couple years ago and I flew out to Seattle for their wedding. And that was my first time being there. And I remember it it raining the whole time. And I remember the the day that I landed, I was kind of panicking because I didn't have an umbrella. I have curly hair. And so rain is sort of my my enemy. And I remember getting out of the car and going, what am I going to do? I don't have an umbrella. And my friend Liz was like, umbrella? We use hoodies. And I was like, I just just couldn't help but feel like I was surrounded by savages because I'm just like... (laughs) how do you guys manage? And they're like, eh, it's just a little rain. And it was it was pouring and I added my shoes. And, <laughs> and so people from Seattle are hardcore. I, I love them to death. <laughs> That's so funny, Aaron, that you touched on that because it is so true. No one in Seattle uses an umbrella. We have like a parka or a fleece or a windbreaker, but we don't actually have any umbrellas. And I guess it's only fair because, you know, when people come to Wisconsin, you know, they're certainly not ready for the cold. And so, you know, they'll come here and they're, you know, they're freezing their asses off and I'm shoveling snow in a turtleneck. And so I, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I would never be able to shovel snow, turtleneck. <laughs> and I'd be dead. I'd be frozen like a popsicle. You'd be a tangsicle. I'd be a tangsicle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> would be a, yeah, that's right. Because my name is Sam Tang. I would be a tangsicle. And tang is also that powdered orange juice that you could literally make popsicles with if you wanted to. That is absolutely correct. I used to troll people. <laughs> people in um, high school and I would be like, yeah, my family is like super rich because my family invented Tang and they'd be like, no way. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. That sure beats my school experience. I used to get called the, so I used to get called the Campbell Soup Kid because I was a little child with red hair. And uh, there was a group of stoners that whenever they would see me, they would bow and go, Campbell Soup. And they would leave cans of soup outside my, my locker. And wow. so if I had to choose, but it was intense. And so if I had to choose between being the heir to the Tang legacy, um, the juice legacy, I would rather do that than be the Campbell Soup Kid and have people worship me and leave soup at my locker. And... Oh gosh, that is so, that is so strange. At least they were, <laughs> at least they were worshiping you. And you know, if, if things ever, got a certain way you could always throw the cans back at them that would be a pretty I guess but it's just, again it's something that you know you chose that sort of nickname or that sort of joke and I didn't really choose that it would just you know it was just sort of thrust on me and it's like okay I guess this is this is a thing now so so to this day you know people will still be like you know like oh, I remember it was one of my my last boyfriend and I we went grocery shopping and we were just going down the soup aisle and he stops and he looks at the can and he looks at me and he goes I see it <laughs> <laughs> I see it. So I will never be able to shake the legacy of being the Campbell Soup Kid. 
Oh, gosh, that is too funny. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. You are the host of a very hit podcast called The Deck Tease, and you are now the co-host of another very successful podcast, The Girlfriend Bracket, and also co-host of Magic Mike. So you are just like the master, the queen of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know really what it is. I just really enjoy the podcasting medium. You know, I used to be a blogger. You know, I started off as a blogger. I blogged for many years about World of Warcraft. And, you know, I I think podcasting is just sort of the where to be right now. You know, everybody has a podcast nowadays. And, you know, I also feel like my blogging muscles have kind of atrophied a little bit since I started podcasting. You know, I've, I've really tried to write and I've really tried to, you know, convey, you know, things into words. And it's really difficult when you're so used to, well, I can sit down and I can type out 2000 words or I can just pull up a microphone and say what's on my mind. And so um, podcasting is just sort of where I'm meant to be. And um, I've just been very lucky that everything I've tried has been successful. And this is such a very interesting medium, podcasting. And so I'm very honored and very excited to have you here on this show. And so I wanted to jump right in and I wanted to ask you, Aaron, where did you grow up and when did you start playing Magic? So I was raised in a city called South Milwaukee, which is actually the name of it. It's not the southern part of Milwaukee, which a lot of people tend to think of when they hear that. Um, it was a city of about 25,000 people. And I first discovered magic in seventh grade. I will never forget it. I was in Miss Hilmer's science class and my friend Samantha had a binder of the cards and she was just going through them. And this was right around the time when like Ice Age and Fallen Empires had come out. And so she had things like Hylopterous Lemur, you know, uh, Lanawar Elves, um, you know, and I had just never seen anything like this before. Shivan Dragon, Jester's Cap, Jester's Mask. And I remember just being enthralled with these cards and going, what are these? And I didn't know what they did, but the art was really what lured me in. And her uncle, uh, Mike, owned a card shop, which happened to be down the street from my house. And so I would take my babysitting money and I would just buy random packs. And, and again, I didn't know what any of the cards did. And eventually we discovered some other people uh, in our class that also played. And we would go to, I remember we would go to McDonald's every Monday night because they used to have a special on chicken nuggets, where for $5, you could get a 20-piece nugget and a large fry and a large soda, which when you're in seventh grade is amazing. Yeah. Um, so we would go every Monday and get chicken nuggets and play magic at McDonald's. And um, I just remember having so much fun uh, doing that. And then we would pay the one kid who had a car and who could drive um, to take us to a store called VGC, which is no longer around. And I just remember at that age being so in awe of the adults because they could buy boxes, you know, and then you're like, oh my God, money. That's so awesome. And, <laughs> um, and it's funny because I took a really long break from magic which we might talk about. But when I came back to the game, the first thing I did was bought, was bought a box because it was just such a badass feeling of, I can buy a box now. Because I just remember that being sort of the the thing to do, you know, when you're that age and you're just looking up at these adults and going, you know, you're here. I am trying to scrounge babysitting money just to afford packs and singles. And here's this guy just dropping on a box. And I'll never forget how great that felt to be like, can I get a box of Innistrad? Oh yeah. And one of Dark Ascension, please. um, (laughs) You know, 16 year old me just was very proud of that moment. That's really awesome. That's really great to hear because even now I'm still like shaking whenever I buy a box. I have probably the worst yeah. booster luck because uh, the last <laughs> the last box that I opened was a box of uh, Modern Masters and, and like we drafted it and I opened it and all of our friends were really excited to open it. And the best thing I think I got was like a foil metamorphose and then maybe like a progenitus. I was like, what? Where's all my <laughs> sweet stuff? I got nothing. So that's really funny. I kind of swore off buying boxes. <laughs> Aaron, what formats do you like to play? Um, 
I tend to play a lot more modern and legacy than anything else. You know, I used to play standard. I kind of stopped playing standard right around Constellation. Like, I, Constellation was the last standard deck that I can honestly say that I really enjoyed. Um, it's funny, for a long time, I used to just say that I didn't like standard. I used to just sort of, you know, call it that and 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 drop the subject. But, you know, I recently had the revelation that part of the reason I don't, uh, I don't play standard is because it's very hard for me. Um, you know, one of the things about modern and legacy that I really like is that it favors experience. You can play a deck for a long period of time and God willing, that deck will never rotate or nothing will get banned from it. Um, And that sort of goes really well with how I learn and how I play. Um, And so the problem that I have with standard is that, you know, by the time I get the grasp of a deck or the hang of a deck, it's rotating or it's not popular anymore. It's not good anymore. Whereas, you know, with modern, I played Living End for a year, a full 12 months straight, and I got really good at that deck. And since then, I started playing Ad Nauseum and I've detoured a couple GPs with it. And part of the reason I do well is because I know the deck inside and out. And that's just something you're not really able to do in standard. Um, And some people do really well with that. You know, there are some people who can play just the flavor of the week like standard, or they can pick up a deck and only play it for two weeks and know what to do. But um, for me personally, I need to invest much more time in it. And that's something that Modern and Legacy really reward you for. Yeah. And now with the new block rotation system for Standard, Standard is rotating even faster than it used to be rotating. Yeah. And, and in particular, I also really struggle with sideboarding. You know, the the decks that are in Standard right now don't fit into the neat little boxes that we're used to. You know, when you're playing Modern, you know that if you're facing Affinity, after sideboarding, Affinity is still going to be Affinity. Um, I remember recently I went to the last game day, uh, the game day that they were offering the, the Liliana mat for. And I remember I was facing a, a, a Grixis control deck. And I remember looking at my sideboard and going, okay, well, I have to keep these in because I have to worry about Jace, but he's also playing tokens. It was Esper tokens, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, I need to have something against tokens, but that's not good against this. And, you know, the decks in standard are like aggro mid-range-ish or control mid-range, and they just don't fit in those (laughs) needle boxes. And again, for somebody like me, I don't know how to react to that. Whereas if I'm playing modern, I go, okay, Affinity, Stony Silence, Ancient Grudge, uh, Creeping Curse, Erosion, very obvious silver bullets. If you're playing, you know, a uh, dredge, you bring in rest in peace and graft diggers cage and things like that. But when you look at like the standard sideboards, you're like, there's a doom blade and there's a fiery impulse. Like, what? <laughs> They're not. It's not obvious to me where those cards go. And so I really struggle with sideboarding, and partially because the decks don't fit into the needle boxes. You don't know, you know, the things you would normally bring in against just a control deck don't really work when it's a control deck, but yet it has Jace and maybe two Kalidus, and you got to worry about tokens, but then there's also counter spells, and it's like, I just don't know what to do. And so um, standard's just really difficult for me, and so I choose to stick with the two formats that I'm more proficient at. That's great that you're playing a lot of modern and legacy. I am a modern player. When I got back into the game, I stopped right around like Apocalypse and Invasion and then like didn't play any magic until Rise of the Eldrazi. And so I got mm-hmm. back into it, but I was like, I don't know anything and I suck. So I didn't play any <laughs> standard. So I just played modern and I, it took me like, I think six years to build two top tier modern decks. And now one of those are now a tier two deck. And I'm like, eh. So <laughs> I'm just like, yay, modern. I could sort of play this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other reason 
reason I kind of stick with those formats is I'm the type of person where I have to play what I love. And, you know, the last standard deck that I really enjoyed was Constellation. You know, there are decks that work, you know, like functionally they do what they're supposed to do, but I don't love doing it. And I spent a lot of time playing decks that I didn't love and it made me unhappy. It made me a worse loser than I already am, which Mm -hmm. we'll probably talk about. And I spent a lot of years just doing things I didn't want to be doing. And so, you know, when I play a deck, I want to love that deck. Like I want to get up in the morning and be so excited that I'm going to play that deck. And, you know, when I see a lot of these standard decks, you know, they excite me on paper, but then I look at them or I'm holding them and I'm like, I'm not, it's working, but it's, I'm not enjoying this. And, you know, I'm just, you know, and there are people that can do that. You know, there are people that want to win that badly that will play something they don't enjoy. I have to love what I do. And, you know, I play ad nauseum and modern, I play dredge and legacy and I freaking love playing. Like I am never happier when I'm going off with ad nauseum or when I am with 15 power on the board on turn two by playing dredge, you know, I'm happy to play these decks. And, uh, that's something I always advocate for people is play what you love because, I really do feel like it affects everything else that you do. Like I can tell, I can tell when people really don't love what they're doing. Yeah, that is very good advice because there's um, some modes of thinking out there that is uh, play what wins. So always just Mm -hmm. play the best deck. And then there's also play to whatever your style is. And there's a lot of um, not only the psychographics of the Spike, Johnny, Timmy, and, you know, Melvin and Forthos, but uh, the ones that, you know, are it's like, what deck is your type? And so some people say, oh, I love control. I love aggro. I love mid-range. I love combos or synergies or things like that. So, um, yeah, I think uh, what you said was very important, Aaron, which is just play what makes you happy and be happy playing it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are people that can do that. You know, there are people that want to win and they will play the best deck and even if they don't necessarily like it. But, you know, I think that it's very common in our community to just sort of do what people tell you to do, you know, and and I, I really always advise people to sort of have conversations with themselves and say, you know, even when it comes down to deck lists, it's like, you know, just because Jerry Thompson is telling you to play the 75, really ask yourself, like, do I like these cards? Do I like them because he's telling me to like them or do I really like them? Um, and so I always advise people to just sort of have those conversations and say, you know, some people are that type that can just pick up any deck and whether or not they like it. And some people aren't. And, you know, if you happen to be the type that isn't, don't force yourself to be the other person. Like, don't say to yourself, I can play decks I hate. No, you can't. Like, just just be honest enough to say you can't because there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and just sort of not being afraid to have those conversations with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also touched on something earlier is like, you're you're not going to be as bad of a loser. <laughs> so when you lose, you go, yeah, ah. I mean, I'm still not great at that, which is, again, is something we'll touch on. But I, I was way worse when I was doing things I didn't love. You know, I was I was pl- again, I was doing things people were telling me to do. I was playing decks that people told me were good. I was playing decks that people told me I couldn't fail at. And then I would play them and I would lose horribly. And I would say, well, this person told me it was good. How could this possibly go wrong? And, you know, now there's more of a feeling of sort of taking responsibility for my losses where it's like, okay, if I lose with ad nauseum, it's because I brought the deck. I chose this deck. I chose the 75. Nobody told me to play it. I didn't listen to Reddit. I didn't listen to whoever. Um, I'm more, I'm more accountable for my wins and losses that way. And that really helped me. Aaron, would you say that you are a competitive player? Ooh, um, that's tricky. That's really tricky. Um, I don't, 
I, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I certainly don't go to events to like do poorly. Um, for me, it really comes kind of comes down to the fun. It's like if I'm doing poorly in an event, but everybody's been really cool and I'm having a really good time, I'll play all nine rounds. I'll, I'll see it through. I have no problem with that. Um, if I'm not doing well and I'm having a miserable time, I won't stick around for it. Um, I, I'm also realistic too. Like I don't want to be on the pro tour. I have no, no desire to be on the train as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't, I know that I'm not a really a top eight player, you know, I know that that's just sort of not me. And so, you know, I really kind of just go on my feelings or my instincts where it's like, I go, I go to do as best as I can, you know, maybe that's the best way I can put it. And if my best happens to be 10 and five and I make day two, then that's awesome. If my best was five and four and I had a really great time and played every round, then that's okay too. I would just say, I kind of just tried to do the best that I can. Yeah. Very cool. You have day two, some GPs. Congratulations. Thank you. Two this year, actually, which wow. is with the same deck. Yeah. And both during times where Eldrazi were very popular. I like to call myself Buffy the Eldrazi Slayer. Uh-huh. Because um, when the Eldrazi are popular, Aaron Campbell does well. Um, I made day two, my first day two during Eldrazi Winter uh, back in GP Detroit. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I was awesome. I played uh, I played five Eldrazi decks day one. Wow. And uh, I beat it three times. So I sent a bunch of them home. Uh-huh. And then I just played a GP Indianapolis and I played Bant Eldrazi uh, five times on day one um, and beat it four times. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was just like, so it's a good sign. Whenever the Eldrazi are doing very well, Aaron Campbell goes to events because things go well. Um, and that was actually the same weekend as my birthday. So I made day two on my birthday. I came back to play day two on my birthday, uh, finished 10 and five, which I think was 174 out of 1900 people. Sweet. Earned my first pro point, which was an awesome birthday gift. And uh, yeah, I was pretty stoked. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes, yeah. I, I, I'm a judge player. So I remember when it was Eldrazi Winter, everyone's like, what do we do? What do we do? And I was just like, I know just the thing. Glissa, traitor, first strike, death touch, come at me, bro. And uh, peop- I was like main decking like some executioner's capsules. And I was like, I can loop these stupid things. And people just gave me such a strange look. It's funny that we're talking about Eldrazi players, you know, because one of the things that really stood out to me when I was playing at GP Detroit was how miserable the Eldrazi players were. I don't mean as people. I don't mean that they're miserable people. I mean that they very clearly didn't want to be playing Eldrazi. And I actually had a couple of them even say to me, you know, gosh, you look like you're having so much fun playing your deck. I hate this. I, I'm literally just playing this because it's the best deck in the format. Um, I want to win the GP and I'm almost jealous in a way because you are having so much fun going off and doing your thing. And I would I would rather be playing anything but this, but you know what? It wins. And, and that was a really pivotal moment for me just to see so many people that were doing this just be like i'm miserable like i don't want to be here (laughs) Um, and i was like i just don't want that to ever be me like i do not want to be the person that's like i i hate this i'd rather be doing anything else i i just if i do crash and burn at least i can say i had it was it was my choice and it was something i love to do absolutely i really i really appreciate that sentiment aaron about just having fun we talked a little bit about miserable ways to play magic. Um, <laughs> um, Are we cycling into dredge? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to talk about some fun ways to play magic. Um, you really enjoy dredge. You're known as the dredge queen. So tell us a little bit about how you got started playing dredge. I just want to clarify that I don't make people call me that. Like, I don't want people to think I'm some diva who's like, <laughs> who addresses your listeners as like subjects or anything. Like, I, I, people joke about my diva reputation. And I, for the record, I've never asked anybody to call me that. It's always just been people who know how much I love it and they know how much I, I've sort of taken up the banner for it. And so they've just sort of bestowed that honor on 
me. So don't think that I'm like, you know, knighting people or anything, banishing people or anything crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, you know, I love Dredge. I first discovered Dredge, um, again, as just sort of a budget way to get into a format. I've always had a great appreciation for graveyard decks. I love just playing with dead things and zombies or whatever. Um, I played uh, Black Green Rock when it was standard legal, Mm -hmm. which was uh, back when Undying was a thing, which was a lot of fun. I played Living End for a year. That was my first ever modern deck. Um, And so I was looking for really cheap ways to get into Legacy. And I discovered Dredge and Dredge was just everything I wanted to be doing in life. And it was just so uh, unbelievable, the things it was capable of. And I was really fascinated by the perception of it, like the way that people feel about it and the the emotional reaction that it inspires and just what it's capable of. And I just love doing it. I love everything about it. And it's just uh, it's it's where I want to be in life. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Team Dredge. You're kind of getting me uh, thinking about playing Dredge because um, I've been recently wanting to get into playing some legacy but i'm just like geez which deck and i have burn built but i mean burn is burn so i was like hmm, maybe maybe it's time for another legacy deck so maybe i'll i'll try dredge yeah, Dredge is so much fun. You know, I guess the, the only thing that's really um, kind of made me sad recently is the the card spikes. You know, somebody recently bought out all the Lion's Eye Diamonds. And so when I first got my Lion's Eye Diamonds, they were $80 a piece. And wow. believe me, I was indignant about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was so bitter when I bought those. And now they're up to $180 a piece. And wow. um, so it makes me really sad. And, and, you know, it's funny, Dredge is still technically a budget deck by legacy standards, but it's nearly doubled since I bought it. And, you know, it makes me very sad when I I do meet listeners who've been uh, that I've managed to interest in playing dredge. The first thing they say to me is I miss my window. I can't afford the lion's eyes. And, you know, I want people to love the things that I love. And so I, I always feel really bad when people say, you know, you've really got me interested in this, but I can't quite do it. And I just wish there was something I could do. Hmm. Interesting. And Aaron, you talked about playing ad nauseum in modern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you can, you yeah. Can tell I don't really like interaction. Like that's very much the only child in me. I just want to, I just want to put up my little wall or my little bubble and do what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I, I just have a great appreciation for, for broken decks. You know, I think that when you, you know, people ask me why I play the decks that I play. And what I like to say to people is why would you want to play fair? <laughs> you know, I don't mean. I certainly don't mean. I certainly don't mean cheating or anything malicious or insidious. But you know, when you have formats that are capable of incredible things, you know, when you're playing Legacy, you can play Doomsday, you can play Mud, you can play Lands, you can unleash a Merit Lage. You know, you are capable of doing some broken things. Why would you want to just cast Delver of Secrets? That's right. Why, Why do you, you just want to play Tarmogoyf? You want to cast a Baleful Strix? You want to cast a Tarmogoy? Why would you want to do that? Same thing with modern. You know, you can make a million life. You can do Abzan Company. You can do Tron. You can do a turn three Karn. You can do um, just ridiculous things. And you want to cast a Swift Spear? You want to cast a Scavenging News? Like, why Why would you want to do that? And so um, with Ad Nauseum, you know, to be able to draw my entire deck and go to negative 50 life and not die and then throw my entire lands at somebody and kill them, um, that's amazing. You know, uh, with Dredge, you know, you're able to put your entire library in your graveyard, um, break all of the rules of magic, essentially. You know, you, you don't really need lands. You certainly don't have to pay for most of your cards with mana. Things come back from the graveyard. Things don't stay dead. You know, you're able to break all of these rules there's just really no going back at that point why would you settle for anything else and so that's why i love playing the decks that i play because they're just amazing and you know why why would you not want to do these things 
What a fascinating way to think about the game. Um, up until this point, I have been playing like uh, Jeskai Control and Junk and Jund, and uh, I've just been playing all the quote-unquote fair decks, and everyone looks at me and be like, oh, here's Sam with your 50-50 deck, but I would <laughs> always like lose. And so now I'm just like, hmm, you know, Aaron, what you're saying is kind of inspiring me. I'm like, hmm, maybe I do need to start playing some unfair stuff. I used to play really safe decks. You know, I used to be very much a, a Jund mid-range player. I played Jund when it was standard legal, when it was Olivia Valderin and Rakdos Kirun mm -hmm. and Tusk. I did that, you know. I remember the Jund mirrors where you would bring in dead bridge chans as like the, the mirror breaker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to play those very safe, comfortable 50-50 decks. And I just started kind of losing with them, to be quite honest. Like, I just didn't have the same luck with them as other people. Um, again, I didn't really love them. I was playing them because other people told me they were good. And, yeah. you know, only when I sort of had that talk with my and I was like, you don't really love what you're doing. So why not find something you love? And, you know, it kind of started with Living End. You know, Living End was like, oh, wow, you can cascade into something that you don't have to pay for. And you get to invert the board, basically. Like, how cool is that? And then, you know, once I did that and once I kind of, you know, did my time with Living End, as I like to say, I was like, what other broken shit can I do? And so I just started looking for things to do. And it was like, you know, Phyrexian Unlife, you get to defy, you're told, well, you can never go below zero life. Well, actually, you can. And, um, um, you know, dredge, where you're only supposed to draw one per turn. I'm going to dredge six. I'm going to basically draw six per turn. Uh -huh. And, you know, at that point, I just wanted to keep going and just, uh, you, you can't go back. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, uh, finding ways of just kind of bending the rules a little bit. But yeah, that's such an interesting and inspiring way to think about it that um, I think it's revitalized a little part of me that wants to play unfair decks. This is great, Aaron. <laughs> Good, good. And it's a good time to be playing ad nauseum. You know, one of the downsides is, uh, you know, dredge, unfortunately, has been kind of hated out in modern right now. It's really not safe to play dredge. And, you know, the, the hate for ad nauseum is very specific. So most of the things that people are packing don't really affect you. So it's a very good time to be playing ad nauseum. There's not a lot of hate for it. A, lar a large number of people still don't even know what the deck does, which is great <laughs> for us. And um, like, I live for that look when I play like because I'll play Angel's Grace and people are fine with that. They're like, okay, you're not going to die this turn. And I play Ad Nauseum and I have a script that I use. And so I will play Ad Nauseum. I will ask if it resolves and I look at them and I go, so I'm going to draw my whole deck. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, yeah. oh, and you see the look on their face, like the record stops and they're like, can I see that? And then they ask to see the card and then it kind of clues into them what I'm about to do and I live for that reaction. Like I live for that confused, like, <laughs> and I walk them through it because I'm not a jerk, but it's like, you know, just that moment of somebody going, yeah, that's totally fine. And then, you know, the moment hits them, we're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you clicked okay. You said that yeah. resolved. <laughs> And we live for that feeling. Any ad nauseum player will tell you to, to that confused look on someone's face is a, it's like a hug from Jesus. That is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I've also been thinking about this. Like if I was going to do ever any magic cosplay, I'm going to do that guy from the ad nauseum art. Just like that crazy that zombie guy. That art is guy. fantastic. I actually got Jeremy Jarvis. Uh, the artist, Jeremy Jarvis, he's one of the art directors for Magic the Gathering. So mm -hmm. he doesn't really do art anymore. Um, he works behind the scenes. I got him to sign my ad nauseums at PAX last year. Um, and he's a really great guy. And then I even went the extra mile and I had, um, there's a husband and wife duo named Revelin's Light. 
mm-hmm. that does altars. They live in Puerto Rico. Um, and so I sent them my ad nauseums. I sent them to Puerto Rico <laughs> Wow! Um, and had them altered, professionally altered. So my ad nauseums are freaking gorgeous. Wow. <laughs> they are signed. They are altered. The borders were extended. Um, and so they're, they're beautiful. Holy moly. Maybe you need to snap a photo. We need to put it in the blog article. Yeah, I have several pictures of them. I was incredibly proud of them. They did an amazing job. I recommend them for any altars you need. And um, they are, they are the, the crown jewel of my ad nauseum deck, if you will. Very, very cool. Well, Aaron, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. And I want to talk about another passion in your life, which is podcasting. What made you want to start uh, your first podcast called The Deck Tease? You know, I, I started playing when I was a teenager and then I took about a 10 year break just because, you know, growing up and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I came back right around Innistrad, uh, right around Innistrad Dark Ascension. And I had been playing World of Warcraft for many years before that. And I was a blogger and podcasting for me was a way to learn things about the game and get to know people that I otherwise wouldn't have access to. You know, whether we like it or not, magic is very much a meritocracy in that your results matter, your status matters, the things you do matter. I don't necessarily like it either, but it very much, that's what it is. Let's be honest. Um, And so for somebody who didn't know anything, had never played anything, it was very hard for me to find uh, my niche. And, you know, it was interesting to me because when I played World of Warcraft, all of the bloggers were smaller bloggers, like WordPress, Blogspot, things like that. There was like maybe one major website, which was WoW Insider. But when I came to Magic, the opposite was true. Everybody who was blogging was under Star City Games, Channel Fireball, Gathering Magic. There were no like independent blogs like nobody Mm -hmm. was starting blogs from scratch and talking about that so i was very out of my element i didn't know what to do and i just decided to start my own podcast and the show started off being like mini episodes like they were just 10 to 15 minute episodes and i would just talk about my first pre-release or my first two-headed giant or my first ptq and then right around the 20th episode i started having people on the show and i also became very hip to the idea that when you have people on your show it's a really great way to promote your show because you know that one person has 300 followers, they tweet it, one of those 300 followers might latch on to you. And then it sort of snowballs. And um, people also seem to think that I was a good interviewer. And before I knew it, um, I had Darwin Castle on the show, who then turned into Brian Kibler, who then turned into John Finkel, who then turned into Kai Buddha, who then turned into LSV, who turned into Paulo. Um, and before I knew it, the episodes just kept going and I got bigger and it, it took off. That is so amazing. Yeah. And I was looking through some of the archives of some of these episodes. And I mean, you've just, you're very creative. And, and I think you also have a passion for wanting to talk about things that are interesting and also talk about things that are like on your mind. And so uh, the content just seems to kind of, just kind of flow out of you. Yeah, I've been really lucky. You know, when I did the deck tease, it was not really scripted. You know, there was the, of course, there was like the opening intro and the closing intro, but I always just sort of let the conversation go, go where it will. And I, I made sure to pick people that I knew I would work well with and that would work well with me. And I, I was really lucky in that it just kind of happened naturally. Like I, I can't really say that it was planned or that I had a secret. It just sort of happened and I rode the wave. And so fast forward a little bit, Aaron, and then now you're looking at a new podcast called The Girlfriend Bracket. (laughs) And that was an accident. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Um, So I I was bored. I'd been doing the deck tease for about two years. Um, I wasn't happy. I was bored. Um, I felt like I had kind of done everything there was to do. And um, I like to describe it. (laughs) This is a really bad metaphor. You ever see those really bad Lifetime movies where like somebody is married and then they have an affair and the affair <laughs> makes them realize how much they love their partner? Okay, okay. The girlfriend bracket was meant, was meant to be my mistress. So like I was doing the deck tease. I was really bored. I was really unhappy. And I was like, I'm just going to start this thing. 
And it's just going to be this little thing. It'll last maybe three or four months. It's probably not going to go anywhere, um, but we're going to do it. And this is going to be the, the shot in the arm that makes me love podcasting again. And so we do the girlfriend bracket and we happen to come out right before, shortly before Gabby Sparks had written her now infamous article for Channel Fireball, her big debut for CFB. Mm-hmm. Um, and that article really reignited the topic of women in magic. Um, and so after people had consumed that article, they were just really hungry to support women in magic. Like people were like, I really like this. I want to do more. How can I help? And so once they had consumed Gabby's article, they started looking for other women to support. And MTA happened to be around and we were around and we were really able to capitalize on that. Um, and before I knew it within three months, which I had assumed would be our, our cutoff point, like I just assumed after three months, I would go back and do the deck tease. I would say, all right, girls, this was fun. Thanks. Um, and within three months, we had more iTunes reviews than the deck tease. We had more followers on Twitter than the deck tease. We were essentially bigger than the deck tease in 90 days. Wow. And so at that point, we were like, we realized that we had sort of touched on something that we'd hit a nerve and we were like, oh, we we better keep going. <laughs> um, and again, it was just one of those things that we didn't plan. We had no intentions. We, again, we all thought it was going to be just a three month thing. And, uh, you know, life just had other plans for us and we were riding the wave. That is fantastic. And how did you meet uh, Katie, Chris and Hallie? So Chris, I know locally, Chris actually started off being a listener of the deck tease. I remember she had bought one of my play mats or her partner bought one of my play mats. And um, I started running into them at events. And there was one, I think it was a TCG event that was happening locally that I met her at. And we just went out to dinner uh, after the event and we just clicked uh, really well. We became really good friends. And Hallie, I knew through Lady Planeswalkers. I mm-hmm. knew her through Tifa and Mike. I'd met her a couple of times. And Katie followed me on Twitter. I didn't know her prior to doing the show. Um, I just knew that she was really spunky and that she was a judge. And those were qualities that I wanted in one of my co-hosts. And that's just sort of how, uh, how all the girls came together. Being in Seattle, the first time that I saw Hallie, uh, I think it was at like a pre-TQ or something like that. Do not judge a book by its cover because like Hallie is like probably one of the best players in the Seattle area and she's incredibly focused and she knows like, and she just, she just will stare you down. <laughs> Yeah, Hallie, you know, Hallie is somebody I've admired for a long time. You know, I admire Hallie's poise. I wish I could look at the game the way that she does. And, um, you know, there's something about each of the girls that I really admire. And I've, we really are friends. And I've really grown to love them quite a bit. And, you know, Hallie was the first person, you know, when I was organizing the cast, she was sort of the shoe in. Like, she was the one that I knew I wanted to work with. So she was the first person on the show that had her spot. It was me and Hallie. And then we had to find two more. And I remember it was so funny because Chris and I had been friends. And I remember that Chris applied as if she was some stranger. Like all of a sudden I got an email one day and she was like, hello, my name is Kristen Schultz. And I'm, I'm like, what are you doing? You could have just asked me if you wanted to be on the show. But she was really proper. And she was like, you know, I've been an astute podcast listener for so many years. And these are the podcast. She was really proper with it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so that was sort of, she was the one on the show. And then at that point I had Chris and Hallie and, you know, I knew that I wanted a judge voice. And I just remember following Katie on Twitter and she being so funny and so smart. Um, And, you know, the whole point of the show has always been to highlight women who didn't necessarily have the spotlight on them. You know, one of the problems that I have a lot of times with this community is that we we suffer from what I call the chosen one syndrome. And sometimes you see this whenever the issue comes up of women in magic. It always comes back to Jackie and Melissa. And they're fantastic women. Like, I'm not trying to shade them. But, you know, before Gabby got picked for coverage, there had been a lot of talk about who could do coverage. And every time I would go on a discussion board, it would be, well, Jackie and Melissa work at Wizards. 
There's nobody. I'm telling you, there's just nobody. And yet, you know, from traveling around the country, I know that there are so many women that you just don't know about. Even Gabby Sparts. I knew Gabby back when she was little Gabby just in the PTQ scene. People make it seem like Gabby just grew out of the ground and like didn't do anything prior to Channel Fireball. She had been grinding. She'd been going to PTQ. She'd been going to GPs. And I found that was the story with a lot of women, that there are a lot of women out there that have had their nose to the grindstone, so to speak, that you just don't know about. You know, there are a lot of smaller blogs out there that you don't know about. And so the goal was always to highlight other women in the community. We have our Woman of Excellence segment, which does that. Um, I purposely chose co-hosts that maybe you didn't know about um, because that was the whole point is that we want to give people the spotlight so that you can't say, well, it's just Jackie and Melissa. No, there are plenty of women out there who are hungry and have been here um, and will be here and will do great things. And we just needed to shine that light on them for a little bit. And I like what you said about Hallie as well. Poise. Definitely. Yeah. That, that's very, very, very striking and very accurate poise. Yeah. Yeah. She's extremely poised. And that's something I, I wish that I had in spades. And there's something about each of the girls that I really wish I had. Like, I really wish I had Chris's heart. You know, Chris is really able to see the good in people. And Chris just has a heart as big as her feet. And I love her to death. And, you know, I admit that I'm not always as loving as I could be. Or I, I tend to think the worst of people. And she just doesn't really do that. And, you know, Katie just has this love of life. And she just everything's amusing to her and her love of animals. And she has a heart that's really big as well. And, you know, there's traits about each of the girls that I really admire. And I just, uh, again, I didn't expect to be here. I really figured it was going to be three months and we'd go our separate ways. And here we are and going almost on two years. And I just really appreciate the hell out of them. That's just so wonderful. Yeah. I listen to your content and I just laugh. I just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> and that was the goal of the show. That was the goal of the show. You know, we really wanted people to feel like they were hanging out with us. You know, we knew that we weren't going to go and like, we're not going to be limited resources. Like we're not going to give you EV cutting edge information. We're here to entertain your ass. And you know, the most, the best feedback that we receive, most of the feedback that we receive is from women who say, I don't have any other women in my community, but when I'm with you guys, I feel like I'm in the car with you. I feel like I'm going to a PPTQ. I feel like I'm coming home from a GP and that's what we go for. Like we want you to feel like you're hanging out with us. And this is the way that we talk when we're with each other going to events. We are this silly, this crazy. Um, and so we, we finally found our direction and that was what we wanted to be. We wanted to feel like you were hanging out with us. Yeah, so cool. And Aaron, you are also now co-host of another podcast called... <laughs> <laughs> the list just goes on and on. I feel like I'm Oprah. You get a podcast <laughs> and you get a podcast. Everyone gets a podcast. Well, it's called Magic Mics. And I yeah. laughed my ass off when I heard the name of that show. That's just so <laughs> funny. Oh my gosh. And uh, tell me about it. Who's your other co-host? So Magic Bikes is very much Evan Irwin's baby. It's Evan Irwin, uh, former Star City, you know, guru and YouTube provider and singer and, and Cool Stuff Inc. guy. And uh, also Ruben Bressler, who's so funny. You might know him also from Star City Games. Mm -hmm. He did the interviews and things like that. Um, and it's so funny because I remember the day that they asked me to be on the show. It was completely random. I had no idea it was coming. And I remember getting a Google Hangout call at like 11 o'clock at night on a weekday. Like I was getting ready to go to bed and I heard the, you know, just the noise <laughs> of a Google call and I see that it's Evan Irwin and I'm the kind of person where if Evan Irwin's calling me at 11 p.m. at night I did something wrong and so immediately I'm like what did I say what did I do am I being sued I don't have anything and so I answer the call and it's him and Ruben and they're both smiling at me and I'm like 
what's going on here? And they're like, <laughs> hi, we want to do a podcast and we want to know if you want to do one with us. And I was like, and um, when Evan Irwin and Ruben Bressler ask you to do a podcast with them, you fucking do a podcast with them. And so I was like, <laughs> um, yeah. And so um, I was incredibly honored and Evan went to work designing our logos and our layouts and our format and everything. And uh, about a month after he asked me, we launched and wow. uh, we've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And tell us, what is the format of the show? So it's kind of like more of a like kind of a late show format. Like we talk more about news. We talk about gaming culture. Um, we have different segments. Like we have very clear segments. So for example, we have one called Gather the Townsfolk, which is usually the topic that much much of the community is talking about. Uh -huh. um, we have a segment called The Red Zone, which is where we each kind of playfully fight about something, where uh -huh. we have disagreements with each other. Um, we have a section called Splash Damage, which is about things that necessar not necessarily are about magic, but could... Uh, uh, tangentially be related or could you know brush up against it or something mm -hmm. and then we end every episode of the show with a finisher which are jokes that Ruben writes for us and we will talk about like a, a, a current event in the world and then bring it back to magic so like for example last night um, we talked about a satellite that was being launched and if we formed our own satellite what would we call it and uh, <laughs> you know Evan called his serenity and I called mine the Eidolon and, and we just end every show with that. Oh, that is so funny. And they're both just so brilliant. I mean, Ruben's so funny and Evan just has a, you know, have, Evan has an eye for the kind of things, you know, for this kind of thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to be working with them and they, they really are my friends and um, I just respect them both so much. Like, it's just, a, it's, it's funny because like on my shows, I feel sort of like the grizzled veteran. And when I'm with Evan and Ruben, I'm so the baby of the family. <laughs> <laughs> They've just seen so much more and done so much more and I just have so much to learn from them. <laughs> the grizzled veteran. And I do. <laughs> I've seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Well, just for the listeners, we're going to have links in the show notes to all of uh, Aaron's podcasts. So, you know, you can enjoy, you know, the girlfriend bracket and also enjoy Magic Mike's and also listen to past episodes of the Deck Tea. So we'll we'll have all of that in the show notes. But uh, Aaron, you know, uh, you know, producing all the content that you have and working with the community and creating for the community, you were invited to the Community Cup as well as the Community Super League. And I really wanted to ask, you know, what was it like playing in those kinds of events? Oh man! Um, so the community, the community cup. I was actually a wild card. I was one of the. I was the last person on the roster. Um, I had campaigned a little bit for it when uh, when they first announced it. Like I was running on what I called the diversity vote. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, you you don't want to you don't want a team full of boring old white guys. No, you want a woman. You want a trans woman. And so I went on this whole kick, and I got all my LGBT friends to vote for me, and my woman friends to vote for me, and that was that was sort of my what I thought was going to be my ticket to the community cup. Uh, they announced the roster, and I did get in. And uh, I only had so much vacation time throughout the year. So I was like, that's cool. I'm going to go to Gen Con. So I go to Gen Con. I have a wonderful time. And uh, then I found out that one of the people who was on the roster couldn't go and that I was like one of the runner ups or something. Um, and so they, they invited me to go. And it was it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I still look back on it so fondly. I truly love everybody that I was on the team with. We still talk. I still have my jacket that we got. I still have my t-shirt. Sweet. Um, I have all the memorabilia that I got from it. I cried the last day I was there. I didn't want to go home. Um, it, it just fills me with so many memories. Um, recently, even, you know, Facebook has that lovely on this day that they like to remind you of. Mm -hmm. And two years ago, two years ago, the other day, we were there and I, I was reading all my posts from the event and my YouTube videos and um, it just fills me with a lot of happy memories to to have been there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw a couple of those uh, being tweeted. Um, it was it was really exciting. I was really um, happy to see Wizards doing those kinds of events and 
you know, it just brings a different kind of player to the forefront of magic content and be like, yeah, you know, there's some really interesting ways and really fun ways to think about magic, play magic and talk about magic. And that was really cool. Yeah. You know, again, we talked about sort of the meritocracy of magic and it's like, you know, you forget that sometimes there are people who, you know, are making an impact on the game that aren't necessarily quote unquote good at the game. And, you know, one of the nice things about the community cup was that, you know, there were people that were, you know, sort of administrators or editors and personalities and podcasters. And it wasn't just the people with the most amazing win rates. It was sort of everybody. And um, even the last community cup, you know, you had MTA, Adam Staborski, Yo Larson, Wedge, um, you know, they really made it diverse. And, and, and in particular, I feel like our cast was especially diverse. You know, we had a we had a girl that had a disability. We had me as a trans woman. We had, you know, Bjorn from Sweden. We had fathers and single guys and people of different ethnicities. And, and I felt like our cast in particular was probably the most diverse. And I was thrilled to, to be there. That's so cool. And, you know, you were talking a little bit about diversity and inclusion and things like that. And uh, I personally think it's very important for the magic community as it's growing as a game. And I talk about this a lot. You know, I think magic right now is going through like a second renaissance and the sets are really interesting and there's more play and there's a lot of new players and um, just you know, we're all ambassadors of the game. You know, this is something that Patrick Chapin wrote about a while ago and was just like, there's a lot of new people joining in the game. It's important to be caring and inclusive and uh, foster a diverse community so that everyone can enjoy the game. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, what is new for you? What's coming up? Are there anything that you're working on? Any new projects? Uh, less projects, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have so much on my plate right now. I Yeah, I really want to do more streaming. Um, now that I have a really good computer, I really want to get better at that. Um, I had no idea how much work goes into streaming. Like, I have such a newfound respect for people. I really assumed it was just as simple as sort of turning your camera on and playing magic. But, you know, you have to be entertaining. You have to have the right music because people yeah. will read you if it's bad. Um, you know, you have to have the right layout. You have to have everything organized. I mean, even coming up with the schedule is very difficult. So I have a, a newfound respect for streamers. And um, I've kind of dabbled in streaming. Like, I've kind of streamed whenever I feel like it. But I would really like to get a set schedule. Um, I've certainly seen some demand for dread streamers um, so people can learn more about the deck. I'd love to kind of represent my people, if you will. Um, so I would love to do more streaming. I'm trying to work on some better layouts and just trying to get better at it, you know, getting better at like adjusting my cameras and my angles and my, you know, you really have to like customize your windows and drag and drop them. And I'm just trying to become more proficient in streaming. Um, I love it if we could participate in some more streamer showdowns, which is what the girls and I keep getting invited to. But again, we're just so busy. Um, and so really, I just want to focus a lot more on streaming. I, I do feel like I kind of I mean, I feel like I, I've proven that I, I can podcast and I'm a good podcaster, but I miss writing. I would love to get into blogging again if I could. I would love to get into video content. I'd love to try other things, maybe be like a double or triple threat. Um, but I'm just so busy and I'm just trying to find a, a moment uh, of peace or relaxation where I can maybe try some other things. Oh, yeah, I totally understand. Um, you know, I was chatting with uh, Randy Bueller the other day and I was like, you know, there needs to be a... 24-7 magic channel because, you know, he runs Vintage Super League and he, you know, he really cares about really different and innovative magic content. And so he just kind of looked at me and was like, 
well, what do you think? And I was like, uh, <laughs> you got to put me on the spot. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, I think there should be some kind of like, I don't know, a magic Twitch channel that's literally 24-7. And it will just constantly have nonstop streamers, variety shows, news, set previews, this and that, like how to build a deck. Like, And then he was just like, well, who do you think would be some of the talking heads? And I brought your name up because I just thought that you oh, no. do. I th- <laughs> yeah, I do think you have a, a really wide range of being able to talk about things that are funny and then talking about oh, things you. that are, you know, endearing and then community building and then, and then getting serious and talking about tech and decks yeah. and, and like how to play and stuff like that. So I was just like, so I, I threw you out there. So. <laughs> And and I love Randy Mueller so much. Yeah, he. Uh, I remember when he emailed us about the Community Super League, and we were just so flattered. We were like, "Oh my God, Randy Mueller wants to work with you!" And again, that's one of those moments where I talked about how Evan and Ruben invited me to their show, and you just fucking do it. And you know, kind of the same thing when Randy Mueller says he wants to work with you, you fucking work with Randy Mueller. There's just no <laughs> questions asked. And whatever's on your schedule, erase it, get rid of it. It's Randy Mueller. And I have to talk about Randy for a second because the best interaction I had with him had to do with Dredge, actually. So oh. uh, for each week of the the community super league we had a different format it was a different theme and i remember we were doing no modern band list mm-hmm. and everybody assumed i was going to do dredge and i was kind of like one of those hollywood actresses that like has a long time role and then kind of loses her mind and goes i want to pursue other opportunities and then you never hear from him again and that was kind of me so everybody was like you're gonna play dredge aren't you and i was like guys i want to show that i have range like i'm not just <laughs> a dredge girl and so the girls and i came up with this delver list and we had to turn it in and i remember the deadline was like wednesday evening because the Super League was on Thursday. So we had to have it turned in by Wednesday. And so I remember turning in the deck list, recording Magic Mics. I get done with Magic Mics and there's a message from Randy Bueller. And mind you, it's like 1130 my time. <laughs> you're always getting these crazy messages. Right. So Randy IMs me and he goes, what do you think you're doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, why aren't you playing Dredge? And I was like, Randy, I'm trying to challenge myself. I don't want to be predictable. I want to surprise people. <laughs> and Randy goes, that's cute, girl, but you're here to play dredge. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And and he was like, and besides, he was like, we've got like four other people playing Delver. It's going to be stale as hell. He's like, we really need some spice in this list. He's like, I know you know the deck. Play dredge. And I was like, well, I've already turned in my deck list. And he goes, um, I'm the producer. And I'm like, oh, good point. Um, and so I try to make the decisions as a team. Like, I never wanted to feel like I'm Beyonce and the girls are just my backup dancers. So I immediately, I am the girls. And I'm like, guys, Randy's telling us that we need to play dredge. And if Randy's telling us we need to do it, that's probably a sign. Like, he can see that it's going to be four Delver decks and it's going to be terrible. And the girls were gracious enough to be like, we're fine playing dredge, but you have to pilot it because we know nothing about that. <laughs> uh, and we ended up playing dredge. But I'll just never forget that conversation with Randy Bueller. He's like, what do you think you're doing? And I'm like, trying to be different, Randy. And he's like, no, 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 no that's what you're here for. This is what you're here for. And I was like, oh, sorry. So, <laughs> Randy Bueller setting me straight. <laughs> Aaron, I also wanted to talk to you about your role in the community. You are a role model for women and also trans women. Can you share a little bit about your thoughts on that? Oh, God. <laughs> um, the whole role model thing is so bizarre to me because, you know, when I look at myself, I see that I'm certainly not perfect. You know, I do make mistakes in my personal life and I do, you know, I do say things on social media that sometimes I shouldn't. And I am not the best loser. You know, I've been very open about the fact that I do tilt and I have certainly made mistakes, which are well documented. Um, and so when I hear things like that, you know, I immediately kind of feel bad almost because in my mind, there are so many other better people out there. You know, I see people like Emma Handy and JD and Clem Perrins and even Hallie who just seem to have their shit together much more than I do. And I I immediately feel just like, oh God, like no, you really don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I feel bad in a way almost. But at the same time, it is such an honor. And, you know, especially for trans women, it's like I get so many emails from trans women literally across the world that have seen me on Magic Mics or have seen, have listened to the Girlfriend Bracket or seen me on Community Super League and tell me their stories. Um, I've had people come out to me at events. I remember I was at GP Minneapolis and I hadn't been five minutes in the door. Like I was literally putting my umbrella away. This woman comes up to me and she goes, I just want you to know that you inspired me to come out and I'm officially an out trans woman. And I was like, it's great to be here. Like I literally <laughs> just walked in the door and I didn't know what to say. And um, it, it's something that I've, I've never planned on. Like I certainly didn't go into this trying to be a role model or trying to be this inspiration or anything like that. You know, I don't think of myself in that regard, but it really is a beautiful thing. And it really does sort of, you know, put things in perspective and, um, you know, if I'm really just kind of living my life and if I can sort of do that and have the byproduct be, you know, more acceptance and more visibility, I'm more than happy to do that. And, you know, visibility is something I think people kind of don't really understand how important it is, you know, and even Emma can attest to this too. You know, it's so important to see someone like you out there. Um, even Gabby being in the booth, you know, Gabby has opened so many doors for women, Melissa and Jackie and all of them. And, you know, for me being a trans woman to see Alesha when Alesha was unveiled, I can't tell you what that meant to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends who have autism and Narset was revealed to be autistic and that was a very big deal for them too. Um, and so it means so much. Like when you spend your life just trying to find people who are like you and you can see them in the characters that you play or the personalities that you enjoy, that really does mean the world to you. Um, And so if somebody can see my crazy ass on camera and it makes them want to live their authentic lives, I'm more than happy to do it. But um, like I said, if anything, I just feel a little bit bad because I, I'm not always the best that I can be. And, and maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe, maybe people like the fact that I'm not perfect and maybe that's something they can relate to that um, they make mistakes as well. and, And it doesn't change the fact that they're good people. And maybe that's something people see in me. Like I, don't necessarily see it myself, but mm-hmm. um, it, it definitely is a thing and I can't really change that. And I'm not sure I'd want to change that, but it's, it's definitely given me a lot to think about. And it's just a, it's mind blowing sometimes. I think that you are courageous to be able to speak and be like, I'm here and I'm having a great time and I'm here for support. And also you're open to talking to anybody like, hey, if someone needs questions answered or say, hey, you know, you've meant so much for me and I've come out and you've assisted me in that. And like, that's important. And also what you said earlier about being visible and then having other people be able to see that, you know, I really acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you. And I think it's, and I think also just sort of the visibility, you know, I, I've heard this sometimes from, from trans fans of mine is, you know, when they see somebody who is living their life and who's happy, it gives them, you know, I, I think a lot of times with, with, you know, disenfranchised people or minorities or things like that, you're not convinced that there's a happy ending for you. You know, you're convinced that this is sort of all you get where mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm going to spend my life being misgendered and, you know, I'm not going to be able to find work and I'm going to have a really hard time getting healthcare. And you just don't know, you just don't believe in a happy ending. You don't believe that better is out there. And I've had a couple of people say to me, you know, I see you having fun on your shows. I see you having these opportunities, you know, flying out to Wizards of the Coast. You make me think that that's possible. You make me think that I could have that. And I think that's something else that visibility does for people too is not only do you get to see people who are like you but you see things that could possibly be yours you know when people are seeing gabby in the booth there might be girls at home that are like i could be in the booth i could do that you right. know um when you see melissa and jackie being shipped off to wizards you you know a woman might see that and go i could work for wizards too you know when you're at you know when you see the pax coverage and you see mel lee and kimberly cranes who are part of the story you know it makes people think that you can do that too and that's so important because you know as women and 
as, you know, trans women and as, you know, black women or whatever the case might be, you know, you spend so much time being told things you can't do. And sometimes just to see people living, you're like, and being thin thinking you could have that, it really does mean the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, very well said. Aaron, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Bring it on. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Okay. Rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, black. blue, black. <laughs> okay. All right. I am very much a black mage and I don't like red. Do you know how much I don't like red? Have you heard the story? How much do you not like? Okay. This is, if you ever watched me stream, this will be very painfully obvious to you. And I love telling the story. So do you know the John Avon lithograph posters? Yes. I have never hung up the red one. Oh. <laughs> like if you ever watch me stream or if you look really carefully on magic mics, you will see Wooberg, but with no red. Oh, and the first goodness. question people always ask me is, where is your mountain? And I tell them it's sitting in a tube in my closet where it belongs. And I famously <laughs> do not like the color red. Oh, that's funny. So then you have to be kind of careful on Twitter. Otherwise, you're going to get into like a knife fight with like Patrick Sullivan. <laughs> Sullivan is fantastic. He and I are actually very good friends and I love him to pieces. And he's been, he sometimes acts as my, when I have what I'm calling hashtag famous people problems, he's one <laughs> of the people that I can go to. And he's also a large personality and he can sort of relate to, you know, things I'm going through. And he's a sweet guy, um, but we do very much differ on that front. You know, he's all about, you know, hitting you in the dome with burn spells. And I despise red and famously despise red. Like most people, Lee, Lee Sharp is a big red mage, you know, Lee Sharp of Wizards. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever like a burn match, up, he'll tweet me and be like, hey, Aaron. I'm like, don't you dare. And so I famously <laughs> do not like red, but I'm very oh. much a black page in every sense of the word. If you listen to Maro, uh, Maro did some drive to work episodes where he talked about the color pie and what the colors mean and the personality traits. And I remember just listening to the black episode and just nodding and going, mm hmm, mm hmm, yep, me too. Mm -hmm, yeah, I get it. And that, that episode is just me to a T. Wow. Okay. And then you were listening to the red episode and you were just like screaming at the top of your lungs. <laughs> Well, it's funny, though, you know, I actually do have a lot of red traits. And, you know, some of the decks that I use, do, yeah, they do have red in them, you know, ad nauseum wins with lightning storm and faithless looting is a very important component of dredge. And I, I think, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, there are red aspects of my personality. And um, I guess I'm just not, it, it's not that I don't want to admit it necessarily, but it's very difficult for me to admit, like, they're not necessarily the traits that I'm proud of, like the the, you know, the channeling, the anger and the emotion and the, the passion and things like that. Like there are things that I maybe look at as like my weaknesses or my, my shortcomings, I guess. All right. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> and also, this is funny, too. I used to screw up the order of that question yeah. when I would say. And so Wedge set me straight. So I'm glad you <laughs> a, a little Easter egg. If you listen to some old episodes, you're going to you're going to hear that the order is all wonky. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, it just it's embarrassing. But okay, anyways, because <laughs> I am gonna go back and listen now because I'm petty like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do like a comedy blooper series. Oh my god, I don't know. Or I <laughs> or I can re-upload them, like remaster them and then re-upload them. Oh gosh. Okay, Aaron. Question number two: If you could change something about Magic: The Gathering, what would it be? Um. Assuming we're playing like, you know, perfect world, things like that, um, I would make it more affordable. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I do think that cost is very much a barrier to the game. And, you know, it's very difficult for me to relate to as a personality in the game. You know, I'm very fortunate in that I can borrow cards or I earn store credit. And so I don't necessarily have to pay for cards. But, you know, I do feel like, you know, a lot of people get kept out of 
parts of the game that I feel are the most fun because they can't necessarily afford it. Um, you know, going to GPs is such a wild ride and I get to go to so many each year and I'm so lucky. And, you know, even going to opens and being able to afford a viable deck, you know, is not easy for a lot of people. And so if I could wave some sort of magic wand and just sort of affect the secondary market or affect reprints or whatever, um, not to a ridiculous degree, like I don't think everybody should have a place of Jason Mind Sculptors, but, you know, just that people could maybe have the freedom to really play what they want to play. Um, I would really love to see that because I, I I see so many, you know, threads and posts and questions of, you know, I really want to play along with you guys and I really want to go, but I can't afford the Lion's Eye Diamonds. I can't afford um, the Flip Jaces. I can't afford whatever. And it's a very viable concern. And um, it's very easy to, you know, those of us that can afford it, it's very easy to sort of scoff at that and say, I can't relate, but it really is a problem. And I, it really makes me sad to see sometimes. Yeah, I really like that answer. Aaron, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> this hmm. is where you're like, I'm going to give them a play set of Jaces. <laughs> you get a Jace and you get a Jace. <laughs> you, you get, get a Jace. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think it would just be, again, we're going with like purely fantastical things here. I would just say a key or something that could open people's minds um, in, in many ways. You know, I feel like, you know, open-minded in terms of people that you game with, you know, in terms of diversity, open-minded in terms of deck ideas, in terms of card ideas, you know, um, people are so kind of stuck in their ways and, you know, they don't want to try new things. And, you know, whenever a new set comes out, you know, the forum posts that you see usually have to do with how bad the card is, not necessarily how good the card is. And, you know, I would just like for people to sort of have the opposite be true. You know, when a new set is being spoiled each week and cards are coming out, just sort of just have the, uh, just sort of how rife with possibility things are and just, just more open-mindedness in a lot of ways. I feel like we're very close-minded. We're very afraid of change. And I would love if we all just sort of literal brainstorms, just our minds just out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Aaron, question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Ooh, these are really good questions. I'm glad I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, having to really think about these. Um, I, I definitely see continued success. I see continued diversity. I see just, I see women doing bigger things. I see more headway being made in terms of other minority. Um, them kind of touching on, on Indian folks with Kaladesh. Uh, we're seeing headway being made with Kaya and, and African-American characters. You know, I really do see magic kind of doing diversity right, you know, in a lot of ways. And I see it being kind of an example, maybe for other games. I mean, even our community in particular, it's like we've been very fortunate that we haven't really been hit with the, you know, more negative aspects that you sometimes see with computer games or video games. You know, we've been really fortunate to keep a lot of those elements out. And I would like to think that we continue to do that and that maybe other communities can look at ours and see how we do that um, and just kind of continue to have magic kind of be the the game that people aspire to. It's tw 25 years strong, you know, and um, I just hope that that continues and that it keeps innovating and that, you know, we just be, we continue to be the game to be. Absolutely. I like what you said that, you know, the magic community um, is not perfect, but it's, it's not like some of the other gaming communities where it's a little bit yeah. more toxic. And so, uh, yes, absolutely. I, I have uh, every intention to be part of that community, to keep it that way, along with everyone else that's in the community doing that. And uh, I'm, I'm quite grateful that Wizards has taken a stance on and diversity and inclusivity and creating a game that everyone can enjoy. So that's really good. Absolutely. And, and last, Aaron, do you have any asks or requests of the audience? 
<laughs> um, play less graveyard hate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Seriously, you don't need. I was looking at one deck the other day, and it had four copies of Surgical Extraction. Why do you need four copies of Surgical Extraction? You don't. <laughs> you know, why do you need four copies of Leyline of the Void? You can do one. One is fine. Just you know, <laughs> Grafdigger's Cage. You don't need that. Yeah, it, it's fine. It is safe. You don't need all that. So I would just tell people that you know there there aren't that many graveyard decks out there, and you probably already have the tools for it so go ahead and just shove what you have on your mattress you know you can uh if you're going to wallpaper your bathroom use those resting pieces you got laying around you know if you want to um if you uh if you got to blow your nose use that relic of progenitus you're using you know just there's there's so many uses for those cards that you don't have to burden your decks with them you really don't I think a couple of those players might want to draw a few of those cards, Aaron. That's why they've got so many copies. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. Uh, and Aaron, where can our audience find you on social media? Oh, God, where can't you find me? I always feel so bad about that. Like, I'm always like, I always feel the new, if I'm, if I'm incredibly busy, I always feel, I always feel really bad because I'm like, you know, oh, God, I have community super late. Yeah, Matt, I'm so sorry. Like, I always worry that people are going to be like, oh, it's her again. Like, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm sorry. Um, so I'm on Twitter at original asterisk that's o-r-i-g-i-n-a-l-o-e-s-t-r-u-s uh twitch.tv slash original asterisk uh email original asterisk at gmail.com uh the girlfriend bracket is on twitter at the gf bracket we're on itunes as well and stitcher radio we have a patreon if you want to help support us financially um patreon.com slash the girlfriend bracket magic mics um at magic mics cast on twitter uh every wednesday night on twitch.tv slash magic mics um I'm forgetting something. But yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm pretty good about responding to things. Um, and just uh, just come say hi. I get, to, I get to events quite frequently. So if you want to meet up, I'm always down for that. I usually have some swag with me. So if you like stickers or magnets, um, come say hello and I'll give you some stuff. That's really sweet. And like I said earlier, I will have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Just search for Aaron Campbell. And uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciated the opportunity to be able to sit down with you talk to you, hear about your story. And I also wanted to thank you and acknowledge you for everything that you do for the community. And I also want to thank, um, you know, your friends and co-hosts, uh, you know, Chris and Katie and Hallie, uh, just being there for the community, being there for the women in the community, and and also reclaiming the girlfriend bracket, reclaiming that term. Um, we didn't really get to talk about it earlier, but the fact that you guys made a decision to reclaim that term, um, I love it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know really. A lot of people don't know where it came from. And we explained it on our first episode, but it used to be a term that people used to use to refer to the back tables. Um, so, like, let's say somebody had knocked themselves out of contention for like top thirty-two or top sixty-four, they would say, "Well, I'm going to go play in the girlfriend bracket," implying that the back tables are predominantly women and that we're predominantly there because our boyfriend plays. And you know, instead of it being something that people would be ashamed to go to, we wanted to make it a really fun place to be, where people would say, "You know what? I want to go to the girlfriend bracket. I want to sit in the back of the bus, and you can't sit." with us. And so, you know, we decided to make it really fun. And I want to throw a compliment back at you, actually, um, Sam. You know, one of the questions that people ask me is when I'm going to bring the deck tees back. Like, you know, it's a very beloved show and people had a lot of fun with it. And the thing, the main thing I say to people is that there are enough shows out there that have sort of filled the void that you've got it covered. Like, I really don't need to come back. You know, um, your show is doing very good things. Uh, Sean Penrod, MTG Pro Tutor. Um, you know, you guys have sort of covered that that avenue. And so it's, it's you, I always tell people to go listen to you guys.
is and you don't necessarily need me anymore. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, yeah, that, and that's very my meaningful. My heir is apparent, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound too grandiose. But, um, you know, if anything, you guys have done a great job and you, there's really no, you got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you know, I was going to say from earlier, um, these days I have been playing a lot of magic because I've been working on the show a lot. And so these days I've the back tables are like the Sam bracket <laughs> because I, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm telling you, you know, if, if push comes to shove and you want to make your own thing, we're totally fine with that. You know? <laughs> so awesome. many ways you could spend X and Sam, you know, you could just do like all sorts of things. Yeah, um, seriously. It's like more like X and Sam is more like Sam and X, which is Sam <laughs> is just zero so, or one. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, that's man. that's how I've been doing it. Or, or I would get like, uh, I would be like zero, four and a whole bunch of draws, like three draws. Like some, like my deck just doesn't have any win conditions or something like that. So... Uh, <laughs> This is really bad. But uh, um, anyways, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today on Kitchen Table Magic. Do you have any parting words for our listening audience? Um, not really. I guess the best advice that I have for people is, uh, you know, one of the phrases I've kind of coined, and I mentioned this on Sean Penrod's show is, you know, my best advice for people is to know what you're worth and demand three times as much. You know, if you, there's nothing wrong with demanding better treatment. There's nothing wrong with demanding uh, time. There's nothing wrong with demanding money for the work that you do. If you're a creative person, um, I just love people sort of uh, taking ownership of who they are and not apologizing for it and getting what they're worth. So never be afraid to, to ask for what you want. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron Campbell. I'm grateful that the magic community has someone like Aaron with a big heart and a big personality. Listeners, if you're headed to GPs, remember to drop Aaron a line to see if she'll be there. She's always happy to meet new people and sometimes she even has swag. Aaron's on Twitter at Original Estrus. That's O-E-S-T-R-U-S. She's also on Facebook and Patreon. Go listen to The Girlfriend Bracket. Also check out Aaron's new show, Magic Mics, with Evan Irwin and Ruben Bressler. Links to The Girlfriend Bracket, Magic Mics, and past episodes of Aaron's old podcast, The Deck Tees, will be on the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Aaron also mentioned another podcast by Sean Penrod of MTG Pro Tutor. Sean's podcast is great. He interviews a ton of pros to distill all that secret tech. I hope to have him on the show one day because he's such a fascinating guy. Thanks to everyone for listening. Before I get into the preview for the next show, I have a few announcements. As you heard in my convo with Aaron, we talked a little bit about the Wooberg order in my first rapid fire question. It came up in my interview with Wedge from the Matasaurs. And as hilarious as it sounds, I did have to go back and edit a couple of my past episodes for messing up the Wooberg order. So LOLs all around and well, not really, just mostly for me and my editing time. Anyways, if you're new to the show and you haven't heard season one, go and listen to my interview with Wedge. It's episode four. He's very funny and wonderful. He has a big heart and he raised a record amount of money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Wedge also talks about how he got started playing Magic and his camaraderie with the one and only professor from Tolarian Community College. I also hope to have the professor as a guest on the show as well. As always, I make this show for you, the listener, so please let me know what you think. Email me, sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm always available with a response. And if you love the show, please support it financially on Patreon. I'd like to make some new swag for you, the listeners. And if you like my audio editing skills, you should see my Photoshop skills. I do a lot of graphic design for my day job, so I'm eager to crank out some tokens or play mats or card sleeves for everyone. I love to be creative whenever I can. So through Patreon, you can help the show with just a couple bucks a month. And together, we can make some fun swag. Thank you so much for being a listener. 
coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Um, it was different, I guess you could say. I had a real struggle with my parents allowing me to go to that particular pro tour. They didn't want me to go by myself. I was only 19. Uh, so I had to actually convince them for about three months to actually let me go. The first day I was there, I never called my parents. Also, the first day that I was there was when the London bombings happened. So I didn't really put two and two together that I hadn't called my parents at all. When I did call them, it was like four in the morning, US time, and my mom and dad yelled at me for a really long time for being an irresponsible child who they thought was almost certainly dead. So yeah, not a great first pro tour. I'm talking with Cedric Phillips, pro player, commentator, and media manager for Star City Games. Cedric knows so much about magic, and he often does coverage for the SCG Open with Patrick Sullivan. Their chemistry on air makes for some of the best magic commentary there is. Join us in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic with Cedric Phillips.